like scary movies? Uh-huh. I'm getting ready to watch a video. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. What's, what's, what's your favorite? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. Talk to me. Talk, talk to me. Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is the Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest worked on two of my faves in Comedy Bang Bang and on cinema. She's no stranger to Oz or Gotham as the People's Joker. Please welcome Vera Drew. Hi, thanks so much for having me, George. Very, very happy to have you here. I am really, really looking forward to The People's Joker. It's on everybody's lips. I just saw that it's having an official premiere in, in Austin coming up, right? Yes, yeah. Our uh, our Texas premiere will be uh, at Fantastic Fest uh, this That's year. That's awesome. Super, yeah, I'm super excited. We were supposed to play there last year, but... Everybody knows what happened last year, right. and uh, we didn't, and now we get to, and uh, Hell yeah, yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah, that definitely rocks. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with horror, if it's something that you're generally into, if it's something that you dip your toes into, or more of a once-in-a-while kind of thing? I Yeah, I mean, I, I've loved horror, I think, probably about as long as I've loved movies. <laughs> like, I think kind of via this movie. But yeah, I mean, like, I, I think the first... The first horror movie I like really remember getting into was um, The Omen. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it was just because like I was raised Catholic and like I was already like afraid of the Antichrist. And <laughs> and like I, I there think, he is. Yeah, no, I mean, there he is. And like I <laughs> but I think like those movies were actually like kind of cathartic for me because like, I don't know, like I'm kind of on Damien's side in a way, like watching those <laughs> movies, like in the same way that I Definitely. am like watching like Friday the 13th or something like I'm kind of rooting for Jason, I guess, on some level, like, right. <laughs> but yeah, I love horror. I'm obsessed with horror. I hope my next movie is a horror movie. Oh, hell yeah. Do you have a favorite subgenre? Something that speaks to you more than the rest? Um, I like slasher, like, a lot. I mean, just as a, you know, generally. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's my most fun. But I also really... Hard to go wrong. Yeah, you can't go wrong with a good slasher. But I also, you know, like, I love fantasy horror and the Hellraiser series, the first four or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like anything, any and anything like, you know, that has like some weird spirituality or psychedelia to it. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm way, I'm way into. And that's, that was like a later in life thing. I think I used to think that kind of horror was like pretty cringe <laughs> when I was like, cause I used to be like the kind of person who was like, it needs to be the most intense, yeah. visceral, like horrible thing possible. And I don't know, like, transitioning kind of softened that uh for me right. i think um, i got some estrogen in my body and then was like okay i don't there need to go. like watch <laughs> torture porn constantly um so you've done a lot of work as an editor which i believe is actually how the people's joker started right as an editing project yeah it, it kind of started as like uh basically like a feature length everything is terrible video but if like right and everything is terrible video was like a 90 minute queer coming of age, like superhero remix movie. Right. Like at the start of the pandemic, I was pretty scared and jobless as many of us were. (laughs) And uh, so I had a ton of free time on my hands and like really, I don't know, like I, that 2020 really in my head was the year 
that I was going to start directing and kind of watching that slip away. I was like, well, I, the only thing I know how to do in times of crisis is just make uh weird video art. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just kind of started making this remix of, of Batman Joker movies and movies just like with clowns and stuff to kind of tell my story. And, you know, as a trans woman working in comedy and stuff and, uh, in that process, it just kind of became uh, my first movie. And I was like, I don't know, like I was, I was about three months into it and like, like three min- months into talking also about like deep fake, like with deep fake artists and like how, oh boy, like yeah. trying to think logistically, like how can I make Jared Leto's Joker, uh, <laughs> like, you know, like how can I like actually like I I would have needed to film a bunch of new stuff to tell the story mm-hmm. I was telling. So it it just kind of organically became this this other thing, and like kind of this big sort of community project. Um, sorry, I just talked about Joker forever. Uh, no, that it. rocked, and <laughs> I have a ton of respect for editing as an art form. You know, there's been sort of a rise in these radical editing collectives that have been remixing movies that I really enjoy. But there's also, you know, on this podcast, we talk to a lot of comedians, a lot of people who work in comedy. And so it's pretty natural that the parallels between comedy and horror come up pretty frequently. But where that flip side emphasis on timing manifests most directly is editing. It's really one of the most important parts of the process. So I'm curious if there are any movies from either genre, really, but horror, if you got it, where you're like, wow, this is really coming together in the editing room. This is noticeably helping it sing. Wow. Uh, What a great question. Right off the top of my head is Lords of Salem. And and I, but maybe that's just because like I like visually I think it's like there's just like a lot of cool things like visually that are happening with like overlays and and uh, like sort of just like matches between frames of position and stuff like it really it's it's like it's the movie where it does feel like like Rob Zombie kind of levels up in terms of pace and and tone so I think that's mm-hmm. that's definitely one it's got a cool maximalism to it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But like but like less so than his other movies. I think I think that's mm-hmm. also why that one comes up for me because it's like it's it's gruesome and it's got like it's about like big things and like like Armageddon and clearly like I love I also I he's just a I love that he just is like obsessed with his wife. <laughs> and, like really like it seems like he doesn't He's not as much as like a filmmaker as he's like like he he just loves his wife. <laughs> and, he's like, the ultimate wife guy. Yeah, he's like a fetishist for Sherry Moon <laughs> Zombie, and um, I think like it it just feels like it's I don't know it feels like it's processing a lot in like kind of a little bit more mature. But I also love like you know his House of a Thousand Corpses and love how the Devil's Rejects is just kind of just like a feel bad. Movie, there's <laughs> nothing good that you're allowed to feel through. that's right just driving to the hail of bullets at the end exactly <laughs> yeah for me i love brian de palma's movies oh yeah paul hirsch one of the all-time greats carrie and blowout are both just like an editing dream in my opinion absolutely carrie carrie is is huge like all the like i mean obviously like the de palma 
like the split screen thing like i feel like it's like like it's just like that's kind of all we really talk about with it but it it's like right. it's really just incredible at pacing like a third act like like a real yes. like just like yeah like it's just a runaway train once that shoe drops watch out absolutely but today we're talking about return to oz uh this is a really interesting one it's a follow up of sorts to one of the most famous movies on earth which is always an interesting challenge We've talked about Psycho 2 on this podcast as well, lives in the shadow of the original, much like this one does, but also much like this movie, is a fun, weird twist on the predecessor that does enough similar to feel sort of like it's in the same family, but also, importantly, uh, differently enough to be a satisfying watch and not feel like it's just ripping off the original in any sort of fashion. And obviously, this one is not a direct sequel in the way that Psycho 2 is. But like I said, there's it's set in the same land based on the same series of books. So there are some similarities. Um, you mentioned that this is an early big one for you, that it sort of helped to shape your love of horror. Do you remember being a child with this one and being like, wow, this is fucked up? Yeah, I do. I, I remember I have like two memories. I have like two or three memories of this one. The first one is like I was like sick. So I was like in my parents' bed or something like so that I could just like lay down and watch TV all day. And it was the middle of the movie. Like it was halfway through the movie. So it was like the, the head scene, like where she's picking out where the like Mombi's picking out all of her heads and stuff. Right. And that was like, I, cause it's scared. I remember it scaring the shit out of me, but I also remember it being like, and I turned it off immediately, but I was like, <laughs> I need to know, I need to watch that. I need to know what yeah. it was the first time I ever had that, like with a movie where it's like, I need to see the darkness uh, that I just <laughs> felt. Um, and, um, and yeah, and then I remember another time, like a babysitter was watching my sister and I, and it was about five minutes in. So I was still not catching the whole thing. Um, and the babysitter was like, I don't think you guys can watch this. It's it's really scary. Like I remember seeing it in theaters and I was like, no, no, my mom said, and it, it's like probably <laughs> the first time I ever lied. Like maybe wow. um, was to watch this movie. And like, uh, you know, it ended up scaring the shit out of the babysitter. And that's what I realized in the process too, is like, well, she just didn't want to watch, watch this. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I finally got, she to was lying too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I finally just got to rent it. I think like my parents, because my parents really gatekept movies. Like I wasn't, they really, they really believed in the MPAA <laughs> in my house. <laughs> if I wasn't thirteen, you know. So, but like this, it's like it was PG. It was an Oz movie. So, like, what the fuck? You know, they don't know what it yeah. is. So, like, <laughs> and it just it it blew my mind. And I don't know. It's just it's it still is like it's a movie that. uh it it makes me just feel so much while I'm watching it. Like it's, it's, oh, yeah. I, I don't, I can't, it's, it's so magical. It really is directed by Walter Murch, who co-wrote it with Gil Dennis based on the land of Oz and Ozma of Oz. Um, I did read a few of the books growing up, oh, cool. including those two. Uh, so that was fun to sort of see it brought to life. I had not seen this movie oh, wow. uh, until you picked it. Yeah. So this was a fun, I watched it twice. And it really enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, a whole lot of fun. Oh, great. 
cool. Yeah, I was I was like I I I feel like I can't remember the other alternative I gave you because I was like I don't know if this counts as a horror movie <laughs> or if like you'll want to do this. I always like the weird ones. I mean, this is the like this is so right up my alley, especially once it starts getting into the claymation stuff. I was like, wow, here we fucking go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, speaking of editors too, like Walter Murch, just like greatest editor of all time. Mm-hmm. You know, did Apocalypse Now and The Godfather and stuff, and like, yeah, the conversation, amazing the conversation. It's like the only movie he ever directed, and it's, I don't know, it's just because it's, I, I, I don't know, like watching it now as an adult, like it's not a perfect movie. Like the script is, it's, it's, it, the script pales in comparison to The Wizard of Oz, of course. Like mm-hmm. it's very thin. Like you don't really you don't really grow attached to the characters that she meets along the way in the way that you do in the wizard of Oz. But like, it's almost like, okay. And part of it, cause it just feels right. so much like it's about decay and like things that are missing. And like mm-hmm. every, every like character that like she's coming across, it's not, it's not like a scarecrow coming alive and, and like dancing or like or the, <laughs> a cowardly lion that, you know, just is endearing. It's like she needs to wind up this robot that is like very, it's, it's what's sad about it. He's like, he's actually content that he's not a human. He's like glad that yeah. he's not a human, which is so dark to me. <laughs> I don't know what about that is. Every being in this movie besides Dorothy is like, I'm so glad that I'm a horrible facsimile of life. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's, and it's like not, I don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand like how you arrive at that as like, I'm going to make a Wizard of Oz movie. I mean, is that what the books are like? I don't remember it being that intense. I think Merch is working through some stuff here. <laughs> Well, it's also, what year did you say this was? They started working on it in 1981, and then it didn't release until 1985. So it took four years to make and release, including a little delay there where they sort of ran out of money. Right, because there was like a, there was a Disney regime change. Right, Uh, right. Yeah, okay, okay. That's like, it makes me kind of sad because like, I I don't think it is like a perfect movie, but like, I think... It it's like those like regime changes that like companies and like also just like the things that get delayed. It's like this could have this. I feel like this could have been more than just like a cult classic. And like yeah, I I just wish I could see more Walter Murch directed films. Like incredible. definitely, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you're absolutely right in terms of being like what could have been. I mean, Disney bought the rights to the thirteen remaining Oz books in 1954. And then squatted on them until 1980. <laughs> they were like, oh, crap, we're going to lose our rights to this. We got to do something with it. Let's get merch in here. Because he was like, I'd like to make an Oz movie. So they said, all right, well, we need so- something to come out. It's, it's funny that you mentioned Hellraiser before, because so many of those are like, all right, take a horror script, shove Cenobites in there <laughs> just so that we can extend the rights on this. They basically expected this to be that with the Wizard of Oz. And instead, like you said, get this intense exploration of decay and mortality and everything it's it's wild yeah i mean like i feel like this probably is going to sound like the dumbest observation you could make 
about this movie, but like it really like watching it this time, it it really just did stick out to me that it's like it's just so not a sequel to The Wizard of Oz. Right. <laughs> I think one of the things that I really, really love about it is it does just feel like it's not a sequel, but it kind of is a continuation of that story. It's like it's like the right. Twin Peaks, the return of like Wizard of oh, Oz. Yeah. Like it's it's not it's like like in the way that like Twin Peaks is about like Twin Peaks the Returns about Twin Peaks and like trying to get back to Twin Peaks and like the decaying of like getting old and like losing touch with yourself and aesthetics and like becoming a dad and stuff. Like this movie is that but for the Wizard of Oz. Like it feels so right. much like a reinterpretation at, at the same time, I guess. Absolutely. And I, I think that was very deliberate. You know, Merch, he said that he'd seen the original at 10 and he loved it, but he knew they'd have to do something different. He said, if we tried to make a movie in exactly the same style as the first one and tried to get someone who was the same age and looked and sang like Judy Garland, then it would be blasphemy. If we made it a musical and went out searching for a Ray Bolger lookalike, it would be blasphemy. But there's nothing further away from what I want to do. And you do talk about how there are elements that make it feel like a continuation of that story. I do find it pretty interesting that they did shell out the licensing fee to MGM for the Ruby yeah. slippers. So that's the through line here. <laughs> I love that as an element of this because it's like, it's such a perversion of the Ruby slippers. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it really makes you think about the Ruby slippers, like beyond like a MacGuffin. It's like, mm -hmm. like the, the, the gnome King is wearing them. Oh my God. Amazing. <laughs> He's like, I'm where these give me all my power. Like he destroyed Oz. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he destroyed the entire, like he nuked the Emerald city with the Ruby slippers. Like it's just incredible. Like what an incredible, <laughs> like, like in the first movie, it's about her. Like it, they are like just a pure McGu MacGuffin that is then like a, a dude, uh, an ex machina, do sex machina or whatever. Like, right. like that's, and in this, like, I don't know, they actually, like, have this kind of terrifying story function. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. I also really love the way uh, the young Feruza Balk, who plays our Dorothy in this, uh, compared the two movies. She said, it's not that much scarier, but it isn't as bright. There's more browns and blacks in it. You see the yellow brick road, that's bright, but it's in ruins. And to me, what she's sort of describing is the naturalism in the setting that lets the surrealism sing. Yeah. You know, you're startled by TikTok and the Gnome King and the Rollers, because when you're in the Oz parts, it doesn't feel like it's quite as far from us as Oz Prime was with its theatrical look to it. Exactly. Yeah, no, it it's it. And it like hits you right in the beginning, too, when you're like, it's an actual farm. Like you're not on mm -hmm. a soundstage. You're you're like in the middle of nowhere. And like, it's. A poor, it's poor a poor farming family whose, whose right. house was destroyed in a tornado yeah like it really it's so striking right right from the beginning that naturalism and it, it, it's like it, i feel like it makes those like lighter moments feel a lot more earned and like they're mm -hmm. a lot more i don't know like in many ways it's a sweeter movie than the than and, and the wizard of oz is actually like also one of my just favorite movies of all time like i don't really like think one is better than the other but like i do think like in many ways like i don't know like i i'm just thinking about like dorothy as a depressed girl that like mm -hmm. no one believes no one believes 
like that's what would happen like that's what would happen yeah. after judy garland gets home you know from her whimsical adventure where she's singing <laughs> and dancing and no one would believe her and it, if if like you know like it would she would go into electroshock treatment like it would right it would, it's what would happen and i don't know like just i mean it's seeing that as a kid i mean like it's just like being able to like actually understand like like my parents can't see the like imagination my imagination they can't see right. like my hope or my dreams or like the mystical realms that i play in and like my parents can be wrong about something it think that they're doing something to help me but they could be wrong about that like i don't know that's just so it's so like uh it's such heavy shit for a kid's movie. It's so beautiful. For sure. Especially because by making her much, much younger looking in this, I mean, Judy Garland, I forget what her exact age was. And for her, to, for Feruza Balk to be a, a young girl in this and to be going through that, all of those elements and the, like thematic pieces that you're talking about, about the uh, world of imagination and everything come through so much more strongly in terms of the, the disbelief of her parents or not parents aunt em and yeah. uncle henry no totally and like i feel like it it complements that like that like naturalism that that she's like that you brought up yeah. like it's like it's just um yeah i don't know it's just real it's just like a it's the real story and like it does right. just make those fantastical things feel so cool like like i mean jack pumpkinhead is just like I mean, just a just a, a cr- incredible puppet. Just just one of maybe one of the coolest puppets I think I've ever seen in a movie. Like, yeah, he rocks. Merch also very importantly to this podcast said that what separates enduring children's fiction from the ephemeral is a dash of fear. He said, "When I first saw The Wizard of Oz, I was disturbed. A lot of kids who see it for the first time feel that way." People's memories of it are of a happy film, but when you start to talk to them, it comes out in a good way, of course. A good fantasy or fairy tale has to have that element to grip you. You have to have the cold in order to feel the heat. It's a mixture of excitement, happiness, and that disturbing element. It's a matter of finding the right blend. The bad people have to be bad. Look at the queen in Snow White. You never have the idea that you could sit down with her and say, what's your problem? And talk things out with her. She wants Snow White's heart. Over the last 10 or 15 years, there's been this sense that you could work things out with them, that life has gone against them and made them bad. Uh, and then the interview said, he cheerfully pledged the bad people in this film are not that way, which made me laugh. But I also think like that thing that Merch is describing is 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 true on some level, but like to me that's that's oh that's the the problem within that is that like I don't actually ever really find those things redemptive. Like like those types of villains I, it doesn't do, it doesn't work on me at all it always mm-hmm. feels like propaganda <laughs> or like right. or like lazy storytelling so you want that that realism that people are gray yeah and like i mean i think in this movie it's like you know like i do think like the the villains are like completely unrepentant but their their reasons are still also like you know like mombi's at, at like her last line is like a witch with no magic is a miserable creature indeed. That's Ozma's last line. Like, so like her punishment is that she gets her magic taken away. And mm-hmm. like, I don't know, like, I just think like her, 
there's like a there's just a beautiful tragedy to that character because like she's also right. like she cut off all these other women's heads because she <laughs> thought she was ugly and like then she gets punished by like getting her magic taken away like and i feel like um she sure does you know the king the gnome king he's upset that all the emeralds they got taken away and put into mm-hmm. emerald city and like look i mean he's 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 not wrong to be upset upset right. about that <laughs> i did feel, find it pretty funny that it's like oh yeah he's like basically doing the like black panther anti-colonial <laughs> like like hey you guys came and took all our shit we're just taking it back and when dorothy is like the scarecrow it was in the museum when the scarecrow yeah, took like, power it's like, no, <laughs> it's like i don't know about that dorothy <laughs> yeah no i mean that's why that quote is actually pretty funny to me because i feel like this this movie really does like it might have been the start of that i don't know like i do think i think that kind of storytelling is so is so interesting to me when it's like done mm-hmm. specifically effectively but i feel like now when it when it's happening it's it's very thin and surface level sure They were prepared for complaining about doing another Oz movie, but producer Gary Kurtz tried to get ahead of it by saying, quote, We're not trying to make a sequel, although technically the books are sequels to each other. We're much more faithful to the books than the 1939 film was. That was a musical with a very vaudevillian look and painted backdrops. It had an intentional theatricality, and it's a great film, one of my favorites. Its look was an outgrowth of the fact that The Wizard of Oz was performed on the stage for many years in the early part of the century. What we're doing is an action adventure. The fantasy world will be as realistic as possible. The creatures will be as believable as possible in their own right, and not just people in funny suits. If they're accepted, Dorothy can relate to them as human beings. We hope the technology will disappear into the story. And I think that they do. You know, for example, the one that really sticks out to me, you mentioned Jack, of course, uh, is really great. But when you meet the Gump, like he's funny and strange. But the animatronics in it are so good that you never like question it as a living thing. Never. No, it's it's so I don't understand how like how <laughs> this movie is able to pull off these like these like creature effects just mm-hmm. because I mean, like, I think it just speaks to I mean, granted, like uh, this is coming from somebody who started as an editor and then became a director. But like, I think this movie is the proof that like if you're like editors, like directors who understand editing just make better movies like yeah there's just something about the way the framing and the pacing and like the way that like they never show there's never one moment where i'm doubting the realism of any of these characters and it, i mean in definitely case sure but like the artificiality of that character too it's like it's it's part of its strength it's like yeah such that's a, a- a, a, a benefit not a flaw like for him i love yeah and like i love that it's like he's he is just the like he's like the privatized corporate version of the tin man <laughs> like <laughs> like that is like he's an artifact of like kind of like like oz's uh you know weird like army like that's right he is the army yeah. the whole damn thing yeah. <laughs> they put the whole budget, the whole damn budget got put into TikTok, and he can't even fucking function for more than twenty seconds without needing to be wound up. Yeah, no wonder, ain't like, that the army? No wonder, like they 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 didn't they didn't last that long. Like, thank <laughs> God they like returned to like some sort of bizarre, like child ruled matriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> the scarecrow was fucking things up. Oh, I mean, yeah, of course. 
Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, he, did, he didn't have a brain ultimately. <laughs> there is something so like sad about the end of the movie when they're just like, when they realize like Dorothy has to go home, like there's actual stakes to it this time. Like, cause mm-hmm. they are just like, what the fuck are we going to do without this like girl mm-hmm. <laughs> who keeps getting, who's able to like, <laughs> you know, kill all these witches. Like we were useless without this child. <laughs> Thank God, you know, thank God she was able to free Ozma, you know. That's right. Um, these the the effects are also helped a lot by crew from the Dark Crystal, like Brian Henson, uh effects man later turned blade director Steve Norrington helped to bring the gump to life, Henry Selleck working on the storyboards, and of course Will Vinton rocking the claymation. Uh, all of these helped the movie nab a visual effects Oscar nomination and well-deserved, probably, I mean, I didn't look at what it was up against, but just looking at this and still being blown away by it, like, hard to imagine that it didn't get snubbed ultimately. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, it's just this, like, era of filmmaking, like, just right you know we had just enough computer effects like mm-hmm. you know like we we should have just stopped there uh because yeah it's just the way it's all integrated together it just it just has so much realism all the everybody showed up every really everybody really brought their a game science has gone too far we need to return <laughs> and go back <laughs> yeah blow up the internet and uh no i don't know I also really like this very funny moment where the interviewer was asking Merch about the shadow of the Wizard of Oz, and he asked if he was nervous, and Merch said, well, I've been working on this for four years, so I've been able to spread the trepidation a little thin. I <laughs> thought that was a funny quote. I cannot imagine, like, I mean, it makes sense why he never made another movie. It had to have been just so <laughs> fucking, this this experience of making this, and like having it delayed, and then like, it just not really... It's so funny that this would get compared to the original in any way. Like, like I can't imagine. Of course, it's different than the original. <laughs> it's obviously right. trying to be. I don't know. It's it's. I guess when all you have is the name, you know. <laughs> yeah, I do. It did. It, it took quite a while to make over fifty weeks of shooting, plus all the delays and stuff. Kurtz did. He burned them. He said there are people within the studio who thought it was too expensive, but there are people there who think the studio shouldn't be in the movie business at all, just in real estate and amusement parks. Maybe that's uh, finding out more (laughs) reasons why he hasn't directed any other movies. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't sound too impressed. They did wind up cutting a location that would require shooting in another country outside England to compromise. So they let him start up again. There was, as you said, that regime change. And I'm really glad that they brought Merch back during that regime change because he really does seem like the right guy for the job on top of all of the things we already talked about in terms of just editors having that eye for it. One vital quote that I thought was interesting and one that you sort of touched on already as well, he said, it is the mixture of two worlds that are equally valid, the world we move around in and the other one that's just as important, the world of imagination. They're flip sides of the same coin. And what I don't want to do in this film is say that it's only a dream. And that's pretty interesting to me because it almost feels like a joyous reversal of Michael Haneke's funny games thesis. Uh, (laughs) That the world of imagination is real because it feels real and you react to it and it can change your mind and actions. And I think that 
it works for me. That message works for me a lot better than like seeing violence on screen is the same as experiencing violence in real life because imagination is an internal thing. It is, it is self-reflection in a way, even if you don't realize it. Yeah. I feel like that, that the movie really pulls that off. And I think it like Mm -hmm. pulls that off. It, It actually pulls that off using some of the like, stuff that the other you know that the wizard of oz does like i think like by having like the hospital staff be people like we see in oz like the wheelers are basically the are like the orderlies that were like bringing her down the hall to her like electroshock treatment and stuff and they do that in the you know first movie or whatever with like the farm hands showing up but in this it like it does it just like actually punctuates that even more and it's not like this this reality is less real than the other one it's it's mm-hmm. actually just a reflection of it and like right all the mirror stuff all the mirror imagery for sure completely yeah i love it like like the the whole you know like at the end it's it's very it's 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 very on the nose in a way that it's just, I love so much of like <laughs> her, like, you know, Dorothy's like looking in the mirror and she sees Ozma and she's like, Auntie M, come quick. And then like Ozma says, shush, and Auntie M comes and <laughs> shut the fuck up. Is, Don't snitch. <laughs> what is, did you learn anything this fucking movie? <laughs> um, uh, and Auntie M's like, what? And she's like, no, nothing, just a reflection. Like, it, it's just yeah. so, it's such a nice little bow on it. Cause it is mm-hmm. just like, yeah, it's like, there's the dreams and like the stories we tell, like, they're just as, they're just as valid as our own reality because they are like a reflection of our reality and they change our reality. I mean, like, I don't know, not to bring it back to my my film, but like I the the experience of releasing my movie is like very similar to the third act of the movie I made. <laughs> and like I now firmly believe in in the the chaos magic of storytelling and like Right. I don't know, like I feel like this movie, I don't know, it's like that's why this feels kind of like a sort of like the like I said like the Wizard of Oz the Return or something cuz it, it it's like mm-hmm. feels like it's about how like yeah like the Wizard of Oz is real Oz is real yeah. man <laughs> That's right it wasn't just a dream Yeah it had a 25 million dollar budget according to the contemporary press uh according to Wikipedia they said 28 I mean, I'm more inclined to believe the contemporary press, but possibly that three million gap was reshoots or something. It's somewhere in that area. Even the more conservative number is not great as a measuring stick for its $11 million box office. So it was unfortunately a flop. But a lot of people who experienced it as this sort of kinder trauma, now it's a fun thing to explore. There's a swelling of support from the L. Frank heads who like the faithfulness to the book, it has become a cult classic, as you uh, mentioned earlier. So, you know, it, it maybe deserved more than that, but at least it has this. Um, and I think that it is growing. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, like, I I was shocked that it's, it's on Disney Plus because, like, <laughs> I feel like the fact that it became a cult classic is just, like, it's just, like, the epitome of, like, uh, like, that, michael eisner era of of disney like like the fact that this was on television the fact that this used to play on the disney channel (laughs) without any sort of like 
warning or any context is so baffling to me <laughs> and could only come from the hubris and stupidity of Michael Eisner. Um, <laughs> so I was shocked to see it still kind of kind of repped on there. But I mean, I also guess mm-hmm. like it is a different world. Like kids, kids are doing fucking school shooting drills and stuff at school every day. They can handle fucking uh, <laughs> return to yeah. Oz. I guess so, yeah. Anything they need it now more than ever. So let's uh, get into the actual movie. It does start with Dorothy sleeplessly staring at the stars. She's obviously fucked up from her adventure, and specifically the return, which reconsigns her to a life of dreariness. You know, the joy of seeing everyone again only lasted so long before she was like, oh, that's right, I'm still in Kansas, Uh, this is not where I want to be, I'm having a tough time, and uh, she is unable to sleep because of it, insomnia. Dr. J.B. Worley, though, has an ad in the paper for electric healing. And Auntie M thinks that's just the ticket. But Uncle Henry won't take charity, a.k.a. the money for it, from Auntie M's sister. It's so funny to me that they're screaming this argument at each other from the next room when they literally just saw she was awake. And they're like, this dumbass won't stop talking about walking scarecrows and ruby slippers. They are the worst guardians, (laughs) like, on the planet. Like, I can't believe, like, Dorothy is going to grow up to be so fucked up like just (laughs) these two because like it's also like they were we see them outside in the morning or whatever auntie m's like dorothy i i gotta you gotta get help because like i need help on the farm and you're not waking up in time and and, like you know she like kind of gestures to uncle uncle henry and uh like like you see this like half-built house that he's like neglecting working on like it's so it's such a chaotic (laughs) dysfunctional like i feel like there's kind of an implication that he has like a drinking problem or something or that there's something there's some there's just some bad vibes going on at the gale farm oh yeah dorothy's like he broke his leg and aunt em is like that leg healed up ages ago yeah we're broke from the destroyed house. We need a second mortgage to finish this one that's still not done with winter fast approaching. Now let's get into town for that electric healing, Dorothy. It's, it's your your uncle Henry has seasonal depression. Uh, yeah. so we have to. <laughs> also, there was a shooting star that crossed her path, and the chicken Bolina isn't laying eggs, but she does find a key that has OZ at the top. And Dorothy says, "You get to live one more day, Bolina." <laughs> Toto tries to stop them from going into town, but he's told to go home. Very cute howls from Toto in this one. He's he's a real charming little pup in in this uh, in this movie. Yeah. Unfortunately, underused. Well, I I, I like it because it feels it feels like a relic of the old movie. It feels like part of that like oh I miss the Wizard of Oz. Like mm-hmm. like Toto doesn't get to come on this adventure. It's a little too intense. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen the conversation where they're like, dogs are out, chickens are in. <laughs> well, I love that the chicken is also like, it's not, it's not a pet. There's like, the chicken is, you're constantly reminded of the mortality and like what chickens yes. are used for <laughs> in society. And like, like even Dorothy, like she's excited to see Belina when they reunite in Oz or whatever. <laughs> but like, it's not like, oh, cool, like Toto, like she's kind of disappointed. There's there's some right. disappointment that this fucking ta- <laughs> annoying talking chicken. And at the end, Belina's even like, I'm going to stay. I'm staying in Oz because nobody yeah, eats like, chicken. Why would here. I? 
Why would I go back to Kansas so you can murder me? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you guys. Yeah, my eggs are poison. Good. It's defense system there. Instead of just more food. <laughs> so they head to the giant's, uh, the giant house of the doctor. It's Dorothy's first time past the town of Franklin, population 17. Uh, so they really hammer home the innocence here. And she tells the story of Oz to the doctor, specifically the morbid story of the Tin Man. But since she can't produce the slippers, it's electric healing for you, Dorothy. The 20th century is nigh, baby. The time of electricity is here, he says. MGMT immortalized this in song. And they said, baby girl, send me to Oz with your electric heel. Oh, really? Is that? Wait. No. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't do good with sarcasm. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. They're pretty, you know, they're pretty groovy. They, they're, they're hip. They're with it. They could have very well been getting on the uh, return to Oz train here. The face of his machine has the periodolytic effect where it looks like an actual face, which the doctor does discuss seemingly as an attempt to explain what Dorothy was going through. Uh, she's not having it, though. It's absolutely <laughs> insane that he does that when part of the problem that they're saying is a problem is that she th believes in, like, talking woodsmen and cowardly lions. Right. And it it's truly, I don't know, like, I love... I love how stupid this this character is. <laughs> it really it adds so much stakes too cuz it's like it really is like am I about to watch fucking Dorothy Gale from Kansas get like elect like electroshock therapy? Like Jesus. Oh my god. Yeah, when he's like he starts droning on about excess currents in the human brain and you're like I don't think this guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's absolutely insane. Dorothy zones out and she sees a blonde girl in the reflection of the mirror, further reflected in a mirror behind her, excuse me, in the reflection of the machine, further reflected in the mirror behind her. And she's like, what the hell? But she vanishes and M has to leave her there overnight. It's a classic scary hospital setup. You got your groaning patients, your squeaky equipment, a stern nurse who advises Dorothy to take a nap in her creepy tiny room as it starts to rain. I mean... Right off the rip. Even if nothing else happened, this would be fucking scary. Oh, completely. Yeah. It's it's why like this actually kind of I think functions as a movie slightly more like especially like as a genre movie, because like it really grounds you in the horror and stakes mm -hmm. of like real life before like, taking you to like a fantasy world or something. Like mm -hmm. I don't know. It's it's really uh really effective in that way. Definitely. And the blonde reflection girl is in Dorothy's room suddenly with an it's almost Halloween gift of a tiny jack-o'-lantern. I wish that tradition stuck around from 1899. Where's my jack-o'-lantern tributes? <laughs> I love I love that this is an almost Halloween film. Like it's not <laughs> it's not a Halloween film. It's like That's right. It's like kind of an it's like an early fall like it's it's about to be fall film. Yeah, the changing weather, the the, the leaves are starting to turn. It feels like that. I don't know how to how to describe it. It's like not, yeah. She's gone as quickly as she came, though, and Dorothy is left to stew and wait for her turn, which comes with an ominous, would you like to go for a ride, Dorothy? <laughs> oh, God. Feels a lot like Jacob's Ladder as she's going down there for her ECT. Completely. It is, it is like, it is so visceral. It is a three-minute mm. sequence. That would be like if if it was in a fucking like David Fincher movie, people would be talking about it as like, like how effective <laughs> it is. Like it's it's so crazy, and it takes you right up until that moment, like where you're like, I'm a she's gonna get 
It's gonna happen. They're doing it. <laughs> and then like the fucking power cuts out, and it's just Ooh. oh, it's so uh it's so good. It's just so good. It's so good. And I love that even though she's saved by this power surge, they do such a great job with the mix of keeping the tension going. You can still hear the moaning of the other patients. Uh, the reflection girl shows up again to free her and she says that they're damaged and locked in the cellar. It's like, fuck, dude. And it's interesting also that this is one of the less explicit reversals in Oz, uh, where they wind up trapped with the damaged Jack in the highest tower instead. Um, so there are a lot of reversals, and this is one of them that was not quite as uh, demonstrative. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I don't know, it's just so beautiful because, like, I I think like I, I as a queer person, like I, I I can I can obviously see like how the original Wizard of Oz was like this like very gay film for for a lot of people, and like I feel like this movie might have kind of been that for me for that reason where it's just like yeah these are the people that like these are like the the the, you know like queer people are like treated like villains and like put in cages and like hidden in the cellar and like i don't know like they just feel so explicitly like queer and like othered in this way that is just so uh i can see why it uh resonated so much with me as like a deeply closeted uh child definitely definitely they flee together though nurse wilson sees them on the way out in my opinion they should have gotten on each other's shoulders and pretended to be a doctor in one of those lab coats they hid in at first as far as i've seen that's a foolproof plan muppets did it it certainly would have uh helped break up the tension a little bit more Uh, Instead, though, the slippery terrain causes dorothy to fall into a river the girl falls in with her so nurse wilson jumps in in pursuit she can't advance too far, though, because of her old-timey dress and the strength of the river. I love it. This movie, like, kind of canonically sets that, like, you can get to Oz in different ways. Like, and they mm. seem to be, like, centered around, like, natural disasters or something or, like, floodings. Right. And it's kind of, it's really cool. Yeah, I like that a lot. Dorothy does climb to safety in a cage, though. She floats out to see a really nice shot of her on the ocean with the moon. Just like really beautiful. Yeah, completely. I wonder how they did that. I mean, it, it has to be like a miniature or something. Yeah, with all the those effects guys, I'm sure that they put their heads together, figured something out. Belina is there suddenly. She's trying to lay an egg and she can talk. And they're in a pond that continues to vanish. And that pond, well, it ain't in Kansas anymore. Gotta be Oz, the deadly desert to be specific. Yeah, and it's like, it's like, it immediately throws you in. Like if you were if you were holding out any hope that like Oz was going to be like less bleak than the rest of this right. movie, <laughs> it immediately is like, no, it's not. We're not in Munchkin Land. We're like in a fucking weird like like crazy like Dune thing like instant death desert. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. They climb some of the rocks out of there to safety, although one of those rocks has an eye, then another, and they don't look too pleased. This is truly some amazing claymation. Turns out that they're spies for the Gnome King, who is scared at their reports of Bellina the Chicken. One thing I love is here when she finds her old house, still stuck there since she rode the slippers home. Like, yeah, that's a really nice touch, because you're not... I've never wondered, oh, what happened to the house? (laughs) Yeah, it's so... It's such a weird, I don't know, it's a, it's kind of a weird, it, 
moment and it, it's 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 cool because like when it cuts into the house again for a movie that wasn't trying to be a sequel to the wizard of oz and like was trying to distance itself from it like it it cuts into that house and it looks black and white like like what mm. you're seeing like it it actually does look like you're looking into like the first act of 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 the wizard of oz like it's so yeah. bizarre they they had to have like painted it because like i know that's how they pulled off like the transition shot in the original wizard of oz when like dorothy steps through that door and then it's suddenly in color like right. they painted the inside of the house to look like it was black and white and it, it looks like they did that again for this and it's such a fucking weird choice uh yeah to do it's like just like another like here's a huge reminder that this is like <laughs> different than the movie you love that's right it, it's it's a reminder of the difference for sure the yellow brick road is all jacked up too though which continues that reminder and dorothy starts running down the path to find the emerald city is also fucked up full of stoned people in the medusa sense there's also some graffiti saying, beware the wheelers, and the skittering of hiding among the ruins, although they don't see anyone. Again, love this audio mix in this movie. I think that they did a really great job. They keep that tension up with that those spooky noises. Totally, yeah. There's also some spooky headless dancing statues, and as they continue to explore, they're scared by the Tin Man. I think, well, first of all, I really like the Tin Man in both versions. Uh, I think that in both of them, he is kind of a fucking terrifying thing. <laughs> where he's like a little too human in the original version and then here he is so robotic and like the axe is on full display he's in mid-swing there's no humanity to him in that yeah it's like it's so yeah it's so uh i love it i love it it's, it's just so different and i love yeah. that the, the lion too is just a fucking lion it's not it's not a dude in a lion suit like it's it's a big a big lion this blew my mind when i so i didn't realize at first that it wasn't a direct sequel and so when i was watching it i was like holy shit like at some point since they left the scarecrow in charge in a mad act of dominance he forced the lion to walk on all fours (laughs) (laughs) i mean you know what is like interesting is like i think there is an argument to be made that you could interpret this movie as like some sort of like as a sequel like it's like she remembered all this stuff incorrectly or something or like things like some 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 part of like oz's magic is like people don't stay the same form or something like there's something to like it being like a different it's like a different recollection or something yeah there's no time to mourn though because the wheelers are there and they want that chicken lunch pail tree ain't cutting it these days yeah They are scary as fuck. I mean, the strange proportions, their helmets have fucked up faces on them, the noises of the gurney from before, their animalistic calling to each other. These guys are scary. They're so scary. They're so scary. And, like, they are just, like, dudes in, like, weird rollerblade suits. Like, doesn't there? there's nothing really about them that does feel to me like that otherworldly. Uh, It just, it (laughs) just feels like it's so, uh, I don't know, like there's like an uncanny valley thing to it that like, yeah, scarier than flying monkeys. Yeah, for sure. Especially because you see, you see the helmet first and you're like, oh, that's their head. And then he like lifts his head and you're like, oh, they're just weirdos. Yeah, it's like, why do they have like weird, yeah, like why do they have fake heads? Like, (laughs) fuck is (laughs) weird. And like it looks like they're like 
they've got all these like wires coming out of them and so they kind of have i mean hellraiser keeps coming up but they kind of have a cenobite look to them like they're weird yeah, like, or like tets- there's like a tetsuo element as yeah, well exactly like weird like bdsm mecha vibes for sure for sure and they chase her into an alley, which handily has a secret door in it, and handily that lock is fit by the key Belina found. Good for her. No wonder she got to live another day. <laughs> Making herself useful. That's right. Uh, the leader of the Wheelers, who was the already quite scary orderly, played by Pons Mar, he fucking rocks. My dude is playing to the rafters. Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> he says, hey, you gotta come out eventually. We'll get you for stealing a lunch pail and having a chicken, which is against the rules of the Gnome King. Oh, you don't know the Gnome King! You fool! You absolute simpleton! <laughs> he goes wild. Yeah. He's huge. Just like... Yeah. And like, I don't know, like his laugh is just like, it's it's the scariest laugh I've ever heard in my life. Like... And I don't think he says anything as an orderly. He's just there looking intimidating. Yeah, no. It's like why it's like it's so it's so funny that it is like a mechanism from the Wizard of Oz because it, mm-hmm. in the Wizard of Oz it's like there it's like there's a familiarity to these characters and there's a warmth. But in this it's like these are like the fucking meth addled visions of, <laughs> of of the villains we've already established. It's so yeah. haunting. For sure. While exploring the other side, she stumbles upon a patented clockwork mechanical man, does everything but live. First off, looks an awful lot like the machine that was going to zap Dorothy, but also, this guy is patented. I'm wondering who the hell brought the patent office to Oz. No, like, Oz does, in this one, Oz seems like some sort of weird, like, libertarian, corporatist yeah. government's body like it's really interesting like they never really give you any clarity but like just even the fact that they had like a royal army and it sucked is so yeah, like right. what the hell <laughs> wow okay yeah she winds him up and he recognizes her he says I'm TikTok the army of Oz again yeah starting to understand why the Emerald City was in ruin if this guy's the whole defense and the scarecrow told him to wait for her he doesn't know what happened, but he says, I'll be your obedient servant. Just please keep me wound up. Very understandable. My guy has a literal time limit on his movement, speech, and thought separately. They can also only be extended by other people. Please, Dorothy, the specter of repeated death looms over me. I see it in every shadow. It's just like the most tragic robot ever. Like, and I love, mm-hmm. like, again, it's like, I love that he's, like, happy that he's not a human because he sees how fucked up humans are. Yes. <laughs> and he's, like, also, like, like, I need you guys and you just keep letting me down. It's so, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like, of course, Dorothy's, like, the savior in this, this weird mystical world because, like, for some reason, empathy empathy doesn't exist in oz but is like a primary requirement if you want to stay alive and so yeah oh my god he kind of reminds me of epicac the kurt vonnegut short story where like the robot becomes too human and like is like oh i gotta kill myself real quick yeah no absolutely (laughs) they enlist his help though in defeating the wheelers which is very fun great spinning punch Although he does cap it off with some more existential terror as a threat to the wheelers, which cracked me up. Uh, the wheeler, the head wheeler says, you'll be sorry you treated me like this. And TikTok says, I'm a machine. I can't be sorry or happy no matter what happens. <laughs> oh my God, TikTok. Chill out, dude. Yeah. 
all too aware of his his his, his <laughs> emotional limitations and just so yeah. uh, it's so tragic. The Gnome King was behind this all. He stole the emeralds, and Princess Monby is the only one who knows where the Scarecrow is, so they demand the Wheeler take them and foolishly let him go. The building they arrive at is old and dusty and spiderwebbed, but still in good condition, and they enter a gilded room that is pristine, and sitting at the middle is Monby herself, playing a lute. I think I'll put on something more appropriate. Come with me, she says, taking Dorothy alone into the hall, but not just any hall, the Hall of Heads. And folks, this is no bueno. <laughs> No, those are like Dorothy. What are you doing? What are you doing following this this woman? Like it's she didn't get the no talk to strangers talk. Yeah, well, yeah, and we know why because she's growing up in like a the most dysfunctional home in Kansas. <laughs> just saying something. There's dozens of copies of her head in there, watching them and blinking, and suddenly Mombi removes her own head in favor of number four, which is the nurses. This is great. It's very spooky already. And it, you don't even realize that it's setting up an even better scare down the road. You're like, great. This is terrifying. And I'm already like, they, they did it. Totally. And it has that like fantasy horror thing where it's like, it's terrifying, but there's no, you're just like sitting there just staring at people standing. <laughs> like, I don't know. Right. I don't know how, like, it's just <laughs> so otherworldly and like, I don't know. Like, I mean, like, I, I just think of how many children, like, this was the first movie they ever saw where somebody, like, took their head off, like, their head was missing. Mm, for sure. She does say that the Scarecrow got taken with the Emeralds to the Gnome King's Mountain, but that doesn't matter, because she's going to lock Dorothy up until she can take her head for Mombi's self. Triple attack, go! Or it would be, except TikTok's action works have wound down. It's tragic. It's so funny, though, when Dorothy is being dragged off and she's like, it can't be helped, pal. Don't sweat it. Yeah. <laughs> Dorothy's really chill in this one. She's mm -hmm. just glad to be back in Oz. Like, she's not even really. <laughs> this is better. <laughs> oh, she's like not that like even like like butthurt that like her her old friends aren't there. She's just like, all right, right. cool. I'm on a new adventure. <laughs> That's right. New gang. Friendship ended with Scarecrow. <laughs> now TikTok is my best friend. But from up in their tower prison, they can see the mountain. And there's also some goofy portraits of the gang, so she does get a little melancholy here. But this is quickly distracted by a voice calling out Mom, and it's a jack-o'-lantern-headed man named Jack Pumpkinhead, if you can believe it. I did laugh probably harder than I should have at, is this a man or a melon? I was like, good burn, Belina. She's, so, she's like a drag queen, like with like her, her like jabs. She doesn't, she's not a good character. I mean, I love Belina so much because she's not a good character. She's so obnoxious. She's like, you know, like how I, I don't know if you watch anime at all, but like I love like an anime where there's like an annoying fairy or like a, a talking bear or something that doesn't is is their function almost is just to annoy you. Like that's <laughs> Belina to me. Sometimes it's clearly ADR. I mean, like obviously it's an animatronic, so it's like it's it's voice acting the whole time. But there are times where it's like we don't want to show her reacting, so we'll just have her say something as they're walking away, <laughs> and you're like. This is so funny to have them, like, just, like, pitching Belina lines. Like, the imagining that is so delightful to me. Oh, totally. We got to get out of this bit. Uh, we had to cut this sequence, so we'll, we'll just have Belina say something. <laughs> Let's get a zinger in there and transition. <laughs> he says the heads came from the headless dancers outside, which is spooky. And he also says that he had life thrust upon him by a powder that works on anything, which Dorothy immediately wants to restore the Emerald City. 
And he says, if there's any left, it's in cabinet 31 with Mombi's original head. Spooky. Jack also says he's going to call Dorothy mom just for fun. Yeah, <laughs> like, it is. Uh, okay. It is just like, I, I don't know what it's going for, but what you're getting is just very scary and weird. And like, it is sweet. Like, I think Jack Pumpkinhead is like a very like sweet and like tragic character because it's just like he doesn't actually have a mom. He was a fucking mm. he's a freak of nature. He shouldn't <laughs> exist. He's not even really alive. No. And he just like like why does he think he like it's just the only thing he's like I well I'm living so I have to have a mom. It's so mm-hmm. I don't know. It's so it's so it's like a Cronenberg thing. I don't I don't know what it is. <laughs> There's something about it that's like it's the most haunting thing in the movie to me. He just latches on. I agree. There is a weird I don't know if Merch is like working through some mommy issues or something, but the villain's name is Mom B. Oh, Mom yeah. B. Dorothy doesn't have a mother figure. Like, she doesn't have a mother. She has Aunt M, who is a mother figure, but not her actual mother, clearly. There's a lot of mom stuff happening in this, in this movie that I also don't have a specific read on besides. I think that merch might have just been working through it yeah i think i think it's just like the the message is just like yeah moms are moms are scary and yeah and moms are fucked up and like mm. moms are a victim of patriarchy and lazy men who won't finish building the house so we gotta <laughs> wake up early and farm and oh, uh classic like who hasn't been know, there right building that damn barn completely he lets them out of the room now that he's all reassembled, and they sneak out to restore TikTok, and the gang is up to four. Very funny to me how loud the whispering is, not just in the mix, but also, like, it echoes like crazy in that giant room. They're not being sneaky at all. No. <laughs> it's one of the things that actually does make this one feel more like a dream than than the other ones. It's like, the characters are just... The heroes of the story are really dumb. Like, they don't... They never... <laughs> really seemingly have their best interests in mind like mm-hmm. i mean i guess it's because like it's like an actual child it's like what if dorothy right. was an actual child and went to oz yeah absolutely and that plan that they do come up with involves the head of a gump which is like a moose but green and it goes on the front of their wacky racer style couch vehicle and dorothy sneaks into mommy's room steals the key they need then down to the hall of heads which they all start screaming when she wakes the head up. One really, like, tiny moment about this, which, first of all, the whole thing is fucking terrifying. Yeah. But it's got this really cool, like, distorted voice while it's unattached, the head does, which is scary alone. And then the body rises up and reveals that it doesn't have the head on while it's pursuing her. Just everything builds in such a great and effective and tense way. Completely. Yeah. This and then this is this is that that sequence that I saw that was the first first memory of 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 seeing this movie and it'll scorch you for sure completely yeah <laughs> yeah and like the I don't know just the the pace yeah it's really uh it's really intense it's very visceral yeah a ghostly vision shows her the way to go and she sprinkles the powder on their vehicle which comes to life as promised at the magic words weog tiog piog. Amazing, especially since the gump just repeats Piog incredulously. <laughs> yeah, the gump is just talk about like like I love I love how 
useless and annoying and weird <laughs> these characters are. The Gump is, I think, the most tragic figure captured on film. Yeah. Well, he's like, <laughs> he's like all too aware. Like, he's like, I don't, I'm not even a thing. I'm not, uh-huh. any, there's nothing like me. Friggin' Dorothy is even like, okay, so the Gump mobile flies them out the window on some wings of fern, which he's like, how the fuck is this working? And they're like, don't worry about it. <laughs> and they get another great shot of the moon as they fly across it. And yeah, the Gump is having this existential crisis. He's like, what am I? And Dorothy, you talked about this empathy. She does not extend any to the gump, where she goes, you're just a thing we built with a gump's head and brought to life with the sole purpose of getting us out of there. A heavy burden to lay on my man, the gump. Completely. <laughs> it's just like, why Why are all these characters... Like, in the, in the, in the first movie... Like the characters are all missing something. Like they're missing their brain mm-hmm. or their heart or they need to get courage. And in this, it's just like, you are a mistake. You're a deformed <laughs> piece of like thing that I made. Or you're an enchanted, like you're a tragic, enchanted pumpkin head scarecrow that cursed with life. And or like this this emotionless robot that that is just, yeah, doesn't want any. He's just there to do his job and doesn't want like sentience or anything. It's just, <laughs> you're all too reminded of the limitations of all these characters and they will never get better. Like this yeah. is just them. Yeah. Who hasn't felt like the gump when he says, I may not last long. I don't feel too well put together. Yeah. Well. So true. Gump. So true. Mombi sends the wheelers after them. She threatens the vision we saw and says, nobody can help you, Ozma. They don't even know where you are or who you are. And I'm afraid she got her ass. The wheelers' pursuit fails, though, when they hit the deadly desert and the gang makes it away safely. Or so they think as the ropes start to unravel. And the gump mobile is falling apart as Dorothy wakes up. Jack's head falls over the side and the gump plummets after him at Dorothy's urging. Though they manage to save him, it comes at the expense of the Gump's structural integrity, and they fall to Earth with relatively safe landing thanks to his silver. And the stones spy on them again, while they debate attaching the cursed Gump head to the sofa again. He literally begs, oh no. (laughs) The rock spy reports back to the Gnome King, says she's gathered a small army, no sign of the chicken though, which is true, Belina seems to have vanished in this, although she, she came down with them. And the Gnome King is brave at this news. He appears on the cliffside and says, hey, what's the deal with coming here? And this is when we see that Belina is actually hiding in the head of Jack during this. Tricky, tricky. I like this a lot where you just sort of like see her poking out a little bit. It's not too on the nose, but it does set up the eventual uh, conclusion for her. Yeah, no, it's it's really nice. Like, again, like I think a, the a move that could really only come from a director slash writer who like understands editing like you really know the rules and like Mm -hmm. like the story like you know all the pieces you know the story's never ahead of you in a way that like feels fake like it's it's just everything's established and earned yeah the gnome king's laughing at them brings the cliffs down and they fall into his dominion very trippy very fun he also does raise this good point to dorothy about all these emeralds you think I've stolen were made here, and they stole them to build the city. I'm just taking it back. Uh, and so he turned the scarecrow into an ornament and locks him down in the caves and pieces out. And she's crying there about how he didn't steal them. The looting had actually already happened, so it's fine. <laughs> and this somehow manages to pierce his stone heart. 
And he says, here's the rest of our pals to cheer you up. And I'll even play you in a game for the Scarecrow. And this game is three guesses to figure out which ornament he's in. And if they get it right, they'll even be allowed to leave. We get this amazing clay stone hands pull them back and pull themselves back in like a sick display of effects to create this door. Just really incredible. Yeah. You also get a great Gump one-liner with uh, he goes in first and says, I should have quit while I was ahead. Love it. (laughs) Everybody's a a twisted and deformed freak of nature, but they still have time for one-liners, which is like, (laughs) again, one of the most realistic things. Knowing as many comedians as I do, (laughs) one of the most realistic things about this movie. For sure, for sure. They're snacking on limestone pie and hot melted silver. All right, bougie. (laughs) The gump fails, though, and he turns into an ornament himself. That's revealed to be the risk. Perhaps you'd prefer the fiery furnace, he says. Scary flame blast. And this is where it becomes the most pointed of this, this idea of life being a burden where Jack is like, yeah, this will definitely suck the most for you, Dorothy. We're not alive. So it's actually fine for us. We don't sleep or eat. You're going to be miserable. (laughs) It's like, Oh, thanks Jack. Yeah. So fucking (laughs) intense. (laughs) Like, please, can you like sing a song or something, Jack? Can you like (laughs) do a dance? And the last one, the scarecrow did a dance. A little gaiety, please. Yeah, please. (laughs) <laughs> the wheeler chariot terrifying as Mombi rushes over to warn the king about the chicken as jack also fails the challenge and the king himself takes a few big rips off of his pipe which also cracked me up over there okay it is it is the wheeler thing is like uh, there's a bdsm element to it that she's using mm-hmm. these weird freakish men as like her, her like horses <laughs> in a carriage that's right they like it yeah. they like it oh yeah they're there just to serve <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know what happened to, to all the wheelers and, and the you know <laughs> mombies or and, and mombie after this. That's right. Yeah, she just doesn't have powers anymore. They're still like, eh, we're fine. Yeah. Like you can still we'll be the chariot. Yeah, they'll just find a new <laughs> they'll just find a new woman to serve. <laughs> he's also this is where we see he's wearing the ruby slippers. The fact that it is the ones we saw with like the beautiful little bow on it and everything is so funny to me with his all gray self and he like kicks out his little feetsies and these bright red slippers are on it's so funny to me yeah it's wild it's it's such a funny like yeah it just feels like a weird perverted version of, of the original <laughs> movie like <laughs> i love it he does say that their magic is what let him conquer the emerald city and that they fell back to him out of the sky when dorothy went home there you go uh, suddenly, the king is perturbed, though. TikTok stopped guessing, and he sends Dorothy in to wind up his action and says, you can actually just stay in there and guess when he's done with his last guess. Some serious eyebrow acting through this makeup, which is very impressive. Yeah, I wonder what that... I, I gotta know what that shit all over his face was, because, like, <laughs> sure, it was really hard to get off. Heavy, heavy stuff, for sure. It was a trick, though, thanks to the freshly wound up Thinkworks, and he wants her to see what he turns into, and it might be a clue. And Mombi arrives, and more BDSM action. The Gnome King is humiliating her. <laughs> Completely. And I love it because he's like, you should have gotten rid of her. Oh, fuck. Because, like, he, and it's like, dude, you let them into your fucking ornament room. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, yeah. I love how, like, I don't know. They're just not. They're, 
they're like real they're like realistic villains in the sense that they're just like they're just like fucked up people <laughs> you know like they're yes. not working well together at all they don't have they don't have a good system the only reason they were able to conquer oz is because they found magic slippers and just had enough trauma that they could use to justify their <laughs> colonialism not to jump ahead a, a little bit here but the king winds up being like he's like furious at Mombi for letting Dorothy escape, but not at himself for this dumb guessing game. No, it's his. <laughs> it's like, dude, you are the you're the irresponsible one here. Yes, like, this is man. Am I right? Come on, <laughs> he. This is this is that patriarchy influence that you were talking about before. Exactly. It's it's a hundred percent on him. But yeah, so the king is too busy humiliating Mombi to realize that Dorothy is about to do it. She closes her eyes, spins, and walks in a straight line until she hits something to pick. It's so funny to me that she knocks over the emerald, grabs a bird statue, opens her eyes, sees the emerald, and goes, oh, I picked the wrong thing. Fuck this. Puts <laughs> that down. And then doubly funny that nobody was like, oh, maybe the emerald is a token of the time he conquered the emerald city. Yeah, it's it's just, she's really dumb. <laughs> she just, like... She really only gets home in this one by chance. It's like mm-hmm. it's like I don't know. It's like a Coen Brothers movie or something. Like you're <laughs> you're really just kind of watching a like happenstance. Yeah, absolutely. But it does work. It's the Scarecrow, and he's back. This design of the Scarecrow is terrifying. Any humanity of him also drained away with this new mask and unceasing grin plastered across his face. Yeah, no, it's it's great. But he, you know, it's like it's weird because like the way he talks and stuff, it is like it's kind of like he's going for the like the OG scarecrow too. So like it it adds like another scary layer to it where it's just yeah. like oh my god, like yeah, this weird another weird deformed version of these characters. Yeah, much like the lion degraded into quadrupedalism. So too has the scarecrow reversed or reverted here. And like can't talk, I guess. Like he's yeah. I mean, not to jump ahead, but like that was another weird thing about it too. And they establish in that he talked. Like when, when Dorothy met him the first time, he would he was a talking lion. But yeah. Not in this movie for some reason. <laughs> another sick game by King Scarecrow. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> they find the rest of the green ornaments. The king, like I said, is furious, and he cages Mombi in his rage. The room they're in starts to collapse. The scarecrow drops an urn he was carrying. I think it would have been pretty funny to, like, imply that that was Jack. Yeah. <laughs> he does save a falling green vase, though, which is Jack, and they save him. And the claymation king is there. He looks radical, and he says, I'm sick of this shit. No more game. And he steals the gump couch, and he eats it. Although the head comes off, so he's fine, really. You just... You can't think about the gump too hard, or you might get emotional, and, <laughs> like, just how fucked up his life is. They scatter, though, and the castle comes to life to harass them. You get these awesome gargoyle designs and everything. But the king grabs Jack next. He's prepared to eat him, but Belina is still in his head all along, and she's fretting about her upcoming demise, so much so that she finally squeezes out this egg that she's been holding onto the whole movie. Chekhov's egg, big time. <laughs> it's so gross. It's so gross that it's like, like what, like what is the, the implication? It's like a constipation thing or something. <laughs> I don't know. Like I mean, I grew up near, like, kind of on a farm, and like, I just don't think that's how it works with chickens. But whatever. Mm. The king is like, oh, uh, I'm allergic. Oh. <laughs> 
it's so funny too that like I, I don't know like it's again like thank god the movie really does go out of its way to like really establish like the stakes of like chickens are not allowed here and here's why yeah yeah for sure you get this sick collapse into like a skull type deal and then crumbling completely it's a nice death for the gnome king Dorothy grabs the ruby slippers, they get the hell out of there with them, which grants them a safe return to Oz, and also the city's restoration. Mombi is also sent over in her cage, and the city comes to glowing green life in the backdrop, which is a lot of fun. They've also realized the Gump accidentally collected a green medal from the room, and it was TikTok. So they're all back, and everything is good. There's a parade, the munchkins look even more insane than they did in the original. There's a frogman with glasses in the background that nobody discusses, but I want to know everything about. I know. Like, I really wish there was a sequel to this. This is this is the one that needs a sequel. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's so Let's many. Let's have another Return to Oz movie. Feruza Bulk still could absolutely get in here. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah. The crowd wants Dorothy to be the Queen of Oz, but she says she's got to go back. She does rescue Ozma, though, who she sees in the mirror once again and realizes this was the girl who helped her. She says, I was afraid you had drowned, although I she never once said or indicated anything of the sort or that she thought about the girl helping her escape for even a second. Like, oh, uh, hey. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember. You. Yeah, hey. Um, <laughs> gosh, we thought you drowned. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Thank God you're all right. Oh, what? I'm saving you? Oh, good. Yeah, that's what I was we trying to do. We asked everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to save your life this whole time. <laughs> Dorothy helps Ozma though, through the mirror, and so she can be queen now. Hooray! We also find she's the real mom of Jack, which does, you know, this mom thing that we talked about, does help to reinforce the reflection, I guess, that Ozma is a reflection of Dorothy, as we'll see at the very end there, and as we've been seeing, uh, that he felt that connection to her, called her mom. I guess that's really what we're supposed to be taking from that. But even that is, like, it's so it's so tragic still it's like it's, yes it's just, you know it's not like it's not the scarecrow realizing he always had brains <laughs> right <laughs> and this movie goes out of its way to show that the scarecrow might not have had brains <laughs> yeah all. he didn't get them after all no. truly a charlatan that wizard of oz and one of the ladies in the crowd is like oh yeah that's ozma child of the king before the wizard arrived she was mombi's slave it's like a lot to take in right at the end <laughs> Yeah, no, completely. Ozma does say that Mombi is forgiven, although I heard she had a wet work squad take her out in the night to deny culpability. Seriously, like, it's so <laughs> ominous. Like, I don't buy for a second that they're not going to do anything else to her. Like, mm-hmm. Ozma's like, yeah, no, it's she's learned her lesson. It's, it's going to be okay. <laughs> she also says she'll send Dorothy back, but check in on her from time to time. So if she ever wants to come back, she can. AKA use her imagination again. Imagine just holding that over Auntie M's head every time she wants to be in parent mode. And <laughs> she's just like, Ozma will come back for me so quick your head will spin, Aunt M. It's so beautiful though that it is like it's like I, I don't know like what it is telling children. I guess like it kind of is telling children, like, look, like your parents, like, they're just not they might not understand you and like what you're mm-hmm. saying and like it's okay. Like just keep yeah. doing it. Like don't listen to them. And don't tell yeah. them like uh you know like if you if you are like a little freaky or weird or like you think that there's this place where like 
all these freaks of nature exist. Like maybe just keep it to yourself. I, it's just so fascinating. It's such an interesting message for a children's movie. For sure. For sure. Dorothy does wake up in a muddy riverbank found by Toto. You know, big ups to Toto. Belina bailed, but Toto will never let you down. That's what I'm taking from it. <laughs> he led Uncle Henry and Aunt Em and the gang to her, and they revealed that the clinic was hit by lightning and burned down with the doctor inside when he went in to rescue his machines. Good lord. So crazy. <laughs> also, there is this sick irony that this man who pleaded the case of electricity was struck down by just that. They also, the jail cart goes by with the nurse in it, which isn't really explained. No, it's so weird. They're like, everybody, <laughs> go, everybody survived and, and they, like, maybe it was, maybe there was like a cut line or something about like, cause like they do say like, like they were keeping people locked up in like the cellar or whatever. Mm. Maybe all the like crimes of the doctor fell on her or something. I don't wow. know. But yeah, it's, it's like, what is going on here? Where's she going? <laughs> It's truly shocking, but she sees uh, she sees Ozma one last time in the mirror, holding Belina just to taunt Dorothy. Uh, but things are back to normal. The house is finished overnight, and um, I guess Dorothy never sleeps again because she still knows Oz is real. Yeah, no, it's 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 like I guess like she she knows Oz is real now, and she can just like I don't know. It's like it, I, I don't know what is learned or what change <laughs> happened here. But I'm glad Dorothy feels better. Yeah, for sure. And now, Vera, we've reached the part of the episode where we sum up why this isn't just a good horror movie, but is, in fact, the best horror movie ever made. And I'm going to let you start. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. This is the best horror movie ever made because it it basically is like, it like, it properly grooms you into becoming a horror movie fan by disguising itself as a children's movie <laughs> and uh yeah like ultimately traumatizing you and making you uh chase that high for the rest of your life it's like the rosetta stone of horror movies definitely to me this is the best horror movie ever made because it it is like a case study in the importance of these formative scares you know it is super fun but also there is a lightness to it, but also there's a real darkness to it. <laughs> it's like, there's a, the, I think what makes it fun is the earnestness and what keeps it breezy is that pace. Because if it let up the gas pedal for even a second, then you start going like, wow, the gump is fucked up. And wow, the TikTok is fucked up. And wow, Jack Skellington is fucked up. But you don't get a chance to think about these things because it's going so fast and you're moving so quick through this delightful fantasy world. And I just think that they pull off so many incredible things for this to not only do enough different from the Wizard of Oz to have survived as more than a footnote is incredible in and of its own right. But for it to then exceed it in plenty of ways. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the original Wizard of Oz, but in terms of, like, a breezy movie to throw on that is also going to deliver some genuine scares and dark themes that, for me, right now, having seen this for the first time, I was like, oh, there's a lot of, like, fucked up stuff in this movie. That's so impressive to me. And the editing, having Walter Murch behind the camera on this is just so crucial. I think it is demonstrative of the importance of somebody who... 
knows how all of the pieces work together. I, I think that it is really important to sort of dip your toes into all of the aspects of whatever field you're getting into, at least to have an understanding to see how people can work together most effectively, to be able to communicate what you're looking for in a way that they'll be able to understand. I'm sure even just talking to the editor is Walter Murch has, uh, he knows the language of it. And that is so important in, in creating a well-rounded movie. And then for this to take that well-roundedness and use it to burst out of the cage, do so much weird stuff, so much delightful stuff. I mean, it's got to be the best horror movie ever made. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I think we proved that today. Absolutely, we did. And Vera, I want to thank you so much for coming on to do that. This was so much fun. Please tell the people where they can find you, where they can see your movie, where they can look for it in the future, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you can follow me at VeraDrew22. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, Blue Sky, TikTok. I really use Twitter mostly. Uh, that will maybe change soon because it's horrible <laughs> for my mental health. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, keep an eye out for the People's Joker. If if you live in Austin, Texas, uh, please come see it at Fantastic Fest. If you live in other places, I promise I want to get it to you too. So, uh, you know, write to your local theaters and your local distributors and tell them you want the People's Joker and... Hopefully we can we can get it to you and Philly Film Fest. I'm calling you out right now. Let's make it happen. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I also want to plug real quick because it just got announced uh, today. I'm going to be uh, editing a new Christmas horror movie from Alice McKay huh. called Carnage for Christmas, and I think that'll be coming out probably next year. Some like probably around Christmas, maybe. I don't know. I I don't know when it's cool. coming out, but I wanted to make sure I plug that because it's a horror movie hell yeah look forward to that i know i will and yeah i'm really looking forward to getting to see the people's joker whenever that finally happens as far as my plugs you can find me uh pretty much wherever you're looking for me at little horror phl i am similarly existing on twitter but i have mostly shifted to blue sky now i'm also trying to be better about instagram but turns out social media as a whole Kind of just sucks. I don't really feel like starting over that much. So. Yeah, it's it's so weird because it's like, I don't know, like I've had people, I, I almost deleted my Twitter last week, but then I got scared because like, you know, plugging a movie and stuff is, is hard mm-hmm. without yeah. Twitter. And like, I don't know, like it, 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 I, I really ended up keeping it because I was like, I don't think, I don't think me starting over on another site is, is also good for me. Like, I think this is yeah. just very bad for all of us. And probably just shouldn't exist, but it, it seems to be here to stay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so we got that going for us. Um, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, check out the back catalog. We recently had Hayes Davenport from Hollywood Handbook on the show. Really, really fun one. We talked about Under the Silver Lake which deals a lot with his own work with the homeless, and he is a Silver Lake resident, so it really was a perfect fit for him. We talked about that. Aaron Whitehead was on the show recently to talk about You've Got Mail as a horror movie, which was a lot of fun. Not that big of a stretch. Tom Hanks is a fucking psychopath in it. Brothy Gupta was on to talk about Rocky Horror Picture Show. We've just been doing a lot of really great and fun episodes on here, so check them out if you enjoyed this episode. And if you're really enjoying it, check out the Patreon. We're just for just a couple bucks 
get all kinds of great bonus episodes. We just did Session 9, uh, which is a really fun one with Eric Peacock from Soundtracker. Um, so that's the most recent one. And we're looking to expand uh, the offerings a little bit as well. Maybe try some new stuff. So sign up over there and get in on the goods. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you. 